Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the 32nd Psalm, verses 1 through 7. Let's listen together for a word from God. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my body wasted away. Through my, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the summer heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At the time of distress, the rush of the mighty water shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. The word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading comes to us from the book of Isaiah, the first chapter, verses 10 to 18. Let's listen again for a word from God. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifice, says the Lord. I have had enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May you speak through me, and if necessary, in spite of me, 
In your holy and powerful name we pray. Amen. Okay, I know that for some of you, the invocation of Sodom and Gomorrah made your shoulders go up to here. So together, I'm just going to encourage us. Let's take a deep breath. Okay. So God's not in a great mood um, to start a prophecy invoking Sodom and Gomorrah as parallel moral states of the people Isaiah is addressing is not great. The people are in a bad way, and Isaiah's language is meant to underscore that. Sodom and Gomorrah, you might remember, are Canaanite cities whose inhabitants had so deeply violated the customs and traditions of hospitality and had been so virulently complained about to God that God literally went to that town to destroy it. And Abraham, who God told God's plan ahead of time, had tried to negotiate for the cities. If there are 50 righteous people, 50, 45, 40, 35, 10. God gets Abraham down to 10. For their sake, save the city. And yet there are not even 10 to be found. So to be slightly worrisome to the people receiving this prophecy that those are the names of the cities being invoked to address God's chosen people. There's something not right here. This invocation is followed by a litany of God, things God can't stand anymore. Things that the people are doing so much, so often, as to be a burden to God. You can almost hear God rubbing God's temples. But what's interesting is that from a purely technically correct standpoint... What God is describing is exactly what the people have been asked to do. This isn't some weird ritual somebody made up. They're bringing correct sacrifices. They're following rules as written. But it sort of seems like it's not really about worship anymore. It's about something else. And that's why God is over it. What is the point, God asks, of a multitude of sacrifices if the ones making them are not actually listening to the teachings that are meant to guide people's lives? It's all the pageantry of church without any of the intent to worship. The offerings are not being made in the spirit of the law. They're simply a box to be ticked a religious obligation, something rote that gets you off the hook. And God, as it turns out, is not particularly interested in that. See, the the rituals, the sacrificing of a bull or a lamb or a ram, each of these have a really specific purpose. They correlate to different measures in, in Jewish law of purification and one's relationship to God. They don't come out of nowhere. They're instructions laid out in the law that God gives in Leviticus. So sacrificing a bull is a purification offering. Once the bull is sacrificed, 
the bull's blood is put in different parts of the tabernacle to purify the space so that God can enter the space and be present and be present with the people. The fat of fed beasts is the choicest, richest part of the animal. It's always reserved for God alone. These are things that God, God's self, identified as mediating practices to facilitate the relationship between the people and their God. And now God wants distance from those very things that are meant to bring the people close to God? What is going on here? Well, the words Isaiah uses to describe these most holy practices gives us a bit of a hint. Bringing offerings is futile. Other translators say this, bring, bring your worthless offerings no more. And the, the Hebrew word worthless gets translated along a variety of lines. Vanity, falsehood, deception, evil, idolatry, uselessness. Similarly, incense is an abomination, is elsewhere, is detestable. Idolatry, an idol. Solemn assemblies with iniquity, strictly nothingness, trouble, vanity, wickedness, idol. We might say that worship itself for this people has become an idol. The people are going through the motions, but they're not being changed. And so all of this, the law, the sacrifice, the holy practices that are their birthright mean nothing to God. They're meaningless in the face of a people who aren't in the right heart space. There's just a lot of blood being smeared around. Like the song says, ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. That's what gets results. I would like to say that this is an issue we've left in the past, but if my own history of coming to church many, many Sundays in a row is true, I, is anything to go by, I think we know that's not always true. It's easy sometimes, I think, to get into a rote pattern of doing things. Go through the motions of worship, and at the end of it, like we've ticked a box for another week. Like we've done what we needed to do in order to be in good standing with God, and then it's off on our merry ways to address the other things on our to-do list, which may or may not feel connected to what we experienced on Sunday morning. And the problem now, as then, is that when worship is just another task to accomplish, it makes worship about us, not about God. It puts us squarely in the driver's seat about which priorities matter. And we end up making decisions on God's behalf about what has meaning, or value, and what that value is. Or as theologian Catherine Tanner puts it, fundamentally, success in such a religious project is not one's own doing. Working independently from Christ so as to claim for oneself responsibility for success leaves one alone with one's sin. And no one should be left alone with their sin because none of us can hope to survive alone. 
We see it in the totality of the destruction alluded to in Isaiah. We hear it in the words of the psalmist telling us about the wasting away, the groaning, the unbearable weight of that burden. The stewardship season, we're thinking about what it means to come home to the church of today. And I think this morning's text challenges us to take stock of our hopes for that home and who we are as we approach it. So how is your heart this morning? Are you marking time? Are you feeling good? Are you weighed down under the burden of something that is slowly crushing you? Are you already heartbroken? Are you here hoping someone will notice you, accompany you, walk alongside you in a darkness that makes it difficult to believe there's light on the other side? Maybe you're the worshiper. Maybe you're the widow. But no matter where you locate yourself in today's scripture, it's important to underscore that while both of our texts begin with the heaviness and the hopelessness of people alone, neither of them leave us there. And neither will God. The promise of the text is that even when we are at our hardest places, our most engrossed in ourself moments. God meets us there. There's not a scope or scale of thing that is not forgivable, that is not meetable, that is outside of God. There's not a place or circumstance where God cannot meet you. Scarlet can be like snow. Red as crimson can be like soft white wool. The rituals, the songs, the sacrifice of the people in Isaiah were not bad unto themselves. They were simply hollow because there was no heart in them. They didn't impact the behavior of the people outside of that moment. Sometimes we have made worships or offerings into idols ourselves. Sometimes we too are just going through the motions. But God is infinitely patient because what God wants most from us is our hearts, our attention, to be in relationship, not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done for us, for the love that God bears for us. So the question is, are we ready to turn towards it? Are we ready to surrender the things we are holding on so hard to. After all, how can we accept a gift of grace freely given if our hands are occupied clinging to all we believe makes us valuable? This morning we are invited to open our hands and our hearts to God and in doing so to be transformed As we begin the stewardship season, we are invited to consider anew our answers to the questions, how will we be the church together today? And whose church will we be? You are not called to perfection, to achievement, to be solely responsible for saving the world yourself. 
You are not required to hit every mark, deliver every line, or do anything else to prove your value in order to be worthy of love. God has never needed that from you or from us. Instead, we are called to be a church who listens, a church who learns, and who asks the questions, what will it mean today to seek justice, to speak truth to power, to use all that God has given us for the collective good of those around us, and to do so not in service of some cosmic checklist somewhere, but in celebration of God's presence, God's power, and the freedom we have in a God who holds our hearts wholly and completely in love. May it be so. Amen.